that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. What's up, motherfuckers? Morton's Law back with another edition here on this April 4th, 2021, Easter Sunday. Yes, I am recording on Easter Sunday because I have no family and nobody loves me. So I'm all alone. Yes. And uh, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Morton's underscore law and, of course, Morton's Law Podcast on YouTube. So as I was saying, happy Easter to everyone who is home with their families enjoying this day, by the way, today is the day in which Christians, Catholics, and others celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two days ago, by the way, just two days ago, was the day he was murdered by the Jews. God was like, you can have Hollywood, but not my son. And by the way, do you think after the Holocaust, God was like, okay, now we're even. Speaking of which... I feel like God never takes a day. You would think today would be the day God would be enjoying, especially when religious people say today is the day God rests. But no, of course, my day is miserable again. As yes, you guessed it, I'm still being harassed by these gnats that don't go away. Ugh. Give me a gun, please. Anyone have a gun out there? So I was watching the NCAA tournament, which we'll talk about later. Speaking of which, I should have previewed the show a little bit at the top. So uh, we'll be talking about the NCAA tournament. We have wrestling, as always. WrestleMania is around the corner. And a really big NXT takeover next week. Or this coming week. Today is Sunday. So we'll get into that in a second. But as I was watching this tournament, you see all these horrible commercials, which I thankfully avoid when I just stream everything. Illegally, of course. Uh, But... I'm watching CBS, and oh my goodness, some of these commercials, and they preview, one of the commercials rather, is for Great Clips, and I had a laugh, if you've ever been to Great Clips, I mean, every, I imagine somebody has tried it, just because you get those coupons that you see on the street, hey, come in, it's basically a free cut, <laughs> it's like, Great Clips, Great Clips should be called, really bad cheap clips, the commercial should be like this, if you're really broke, and don't care about how you look, Go to Great Clips, because we'll give you a shitty haircut. Yeah, I tried it once. It was awful. So I was on the phone recently doing one of those Zoom calls with my psychiatrist, as you know. I'm mentally ill. And he is coming up with an idea for me to relax my mind, because for those who don't know, I'm incapable of doing such a thing. Like, my mind is always wandering with extreme ADD. And... I forget what it's called. I think it's, oh yeah, it's called Waste of Time, right? So, no. So, he says, do the following, ready? He says, close your eyes, or you can even keep them open, and just visualize the top, the hair on the top of your head. And then he slowly moves down the body. He goes from the hair to the forehead, to your nose, to your cheeks, to your neck, to your chest. And then he starts to talk about how you need to relax as you do every part all the way down. And I'm sitting here thinking, I can't relax right now because all I'm thinking is, are you going to tell me to think about my penis? So we go down each, we go stomach, he says waist, and then he says butt. And now I'm thinking, okay, penis is next, right? And he skips penis. And I'm like, why did he skip penis? I wanted to ask him, 
but I didn't. But, so I don't know. I'm not going to try that, though. Probably not. Now, a lot of people out there are talking about this vaccine, and there's a great fear of this vaccine. So many people talk about, oh, you can get sick. It's like when you get the flu shot, and then you get sick after that. And just people in general hate our government, so they don't believe in anything, <laughs> which I understand. And uh, it just had me thinking, though. I mean, there's, and there's also been reports of people dying. I don't know how true that is after you get this COVID shot, so I don't panic. But there's been reports. So as soon as I heard that there's a chance of people dying, I was like, sign me up. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. So, yes, you're listening to Morton's Law Podcast. We're coming back with the NCAA tournament and much more after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Let's get right into the NCAA tournament. For those who watched the Final Four yesterday, we got to see one really good game and one blowout. Let's get to the blowout first. Baylor, the one seed, playing against Houston, the number two seed. And going into this game, I really like Baylor. As I, as I told you from the beginning of the season, I really thought Baylor would be the team to get there. And the one concern about Baylor is, has been their shooting. While they were the number one team in three-point percentage at 41.1% during the season, they've had lapses here and there where they can't shoot, and therefore they're in closer games, and they shot really poorly in, I believe, the two games they lost. And Houston's defense coming into this game has been nothing short of spectacular. They've been locking up every team they faced, and I just really was concerned with Baylor being able to get off their shot consistently. And I was dead wrong because Baylor came out on fire. They looked like the Baylor team that was playing in December and January until they hit conference play and kind of had a little hiccups. But this team was just full throttle. Every shot was dropping from beyond the arc. They put 45 points on in the first half, led by 25 points. This game was over at halftime. I mean, I don't, I don't think Houston got any closer than 15. And... I mean, look, Baylor is going to be a force. I mean, now let's get into the second game before we talk about the championship game. Going in, everyone thought Gonzaga was a juggernaut. And I know people talk about gambling and the spread of being 14 points. I've heard some handicappers say that if Gonzaga was favored by 18 or 19, they would have taken that game yesterday. And... It just looked like a mismatch on paper. Now, granted, UCLA coming in with the momentum looking good, winning the four games that they had won to get to this position, including beating Michigan, albeit shorthanded. You just thought, okay, this is where the luck runs out, or whatever you want to call it. If you don't want to say the word luck, that's fair. This is where it ends. This is where it ends. Gonzaga is going to put them away early. you thinking, well, the first thought that came to my mind is, is that Baylor won by blowout. So now, unfortunately, the national audience is going to get two blowouts. So that's going to hurt their ratings. That was my first thought. And then the other thought crossed my mind, which is, okay, well, will Vegas impact this game from the standpoint of the referees? And will this game be closer from different aspects just to keep the audience? I don't know. You could say sports is fixed. It's not. Whatever you want to come up with. And sure enough, as this game starts... It's closer than I anticipated. Like, I thought Gonzaga's going to get at the gate up 15-5, put this game away early, and UCLA kept hanging around because of their ability to put the ball in the basket. 
they were on fire early on. Everybody was dropping shots, mid-range threes, driving to the basket. Gonzaga didn't have an answer defensively for this team. And coming into the tournament, a lot of people said if Gonzaga had one weakness, it was on defense. And this was the first time that they were somewhat exposed. And I mean, credit UCLA for hitting all their shots because they were just, it was, it was remarkable. And they were hitting difficult shots too, not just wide open. And I talk about that in basketball nowadays, how a lot of players don't hit contested shots. And, well, I'm not going to get into the NBA right now. I don't want to sidetrack with my ADD. But so this game was close throughout the first half. UCLA had a three, I think even a five point lead at one point. And Gonzaga made a little run to end the half and went up by one. And so now you're thinking, okay, halftime adjustments. Gonzaga is going to come out and blow the doors off. And that didn't happen. Gonzaga had a bit of a lead. I think they went up five or even seven, but UCLA kept coming back. And they just, it, it was a credit to just, people want to say, oh, well, they have heart. I hate i hate that term because they played hard and they made shots. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much heart you make. You got to put the ball in the basket and you have to get stops. They did that. They did enough. Listen, it was a high scoring game. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at what Gonzaga is capable of, and the fact that UCLA was able to hang with them because, as I said, a lot of so-called experts, handicappers, said there's no way UCLA can play with Gonzaga if they go into the high-scoring affair. If somehow Gonzaga had an off-shooting day and UCLA could keep the game in the 70s, then maybe there's a chance they could win. And this didn't happen. This game was in the 80s. And then, sure enough, we get a, a crazy... Uh, end to regulation where we go to overtime and I was just I was in shock I was in shock that UCLA took this game to overtime and once we get to the overtime Gonzaga looked like they were going to build the lead and then UCLA made a, a great corner three to tie it again back and forth and then sure enough in the last 20 seconds UCLA gets the ball drives to the basket misses gets his own rebound puts it back and in we're tied with 3.2 seconds on the clock everyone's thinking double overtime they throw the ball in Suggs catches it two or three dribbles from about 35 feet banks it in off the glass for the game winner and the crowd well whatever crowd was there went bananas and uh yeah incredible moment for uh Jalen Suggs as I talked about before this tournament, that he was a big-time shot maker. And in this moment, he proved that. And, uh, yeah, so moving forward to Monday now, this, this matchup is going to be a battle of the Titans. There's no other way to put it. Any cliche you can put forth, do so. Because these are unequivocally the top two teams in the country. We're getting it right now. And uh, when I just look at what we could be facing right now, I mean, look. As we saw in the UCLA game, Gonzaga is susceptible on defense. And Baylor, with their ability to knock down threes, if they can, at the rate they did against Houston, this game is going to be high scoring. Although, to be fair, as good of a defense as UCLA was, I mean, granted, Gonzaga still scored points. So, I mean, and then when you look at USC, people talked about their defense and, oh, Gonzaga is going to struggle with this and that. That wasn't the case. Now, Baylor, you can make a case, is a better defense than both UCLA and USC. So that's going to be an even bigger test for Gonzaga getting good looks from the perimeter. 
because let's be fair, Cody Kispert has struggled this tournament. He, I don't know his percentage offhand, but from the perimeter, he's not knocking down threes. Now, uh, Ayaye has been on fire. He's been he's been one of their best players along with Drew Timmy down low. Suggs has been good, but it's been more Ayaye and Timmy carrying the flag for Gonzaga. And with, with Baylor, it's all about Butler and Mitchell being able to get off. And, of course, the, the Joe Dirt lookalike, Meyer, if he can hit his shots off the bench, is incredible, by the way, when he gets going, as is Flagger. So they have a lot to match Gonzaga in the offensive standpoint. I'm curious to see, does everyone, if everyone knocks down their shots in this game, contested or not. I mean, I, I assume like, Baylor's going to give Gonzaga more of a hard time getting good looks than vice versa. So if Baylor's knocking down their threes, this is this Baylor could win this game. I think Baylor has everything to win this game if they are knocking down their perimeter shots. And I'm I'm leaning towards this game being high scoring. Uh, I see it being in the 80s. And I said that before the tournament started. And I, I did predict this. I predict this championship game. I have it in every one of my brackets. Baylor versus Gonzaga. And I right now, I mean, if if for those degenerate gamblers out there, it's a it's five points, I believe, Gonzaga's favorite by. I would lean Baylor on that for sure. And I would even consider taking Baylor with the plus money because I just, I, when you look at that game against Houston, now again, it's hard to duplicate that same performance in terms of being able to shoot at such a high percentage. And I just feel like they have that edge on defense and they're going to get, if Kispert cannot knock down his threes and if you have Mitchell and Butler on the perimeter uh, causing chaos defensively, it's it's going to be a great game. There's no doubt about that. We're going to get a classic here in this championship game. I would be shocked if either team wins by more than five. It is going to be that close. It's going to come down to free throws and uh, yeah, maybe even another clutch shot to win it. Who knows? So, um, and look, Gonzaga is in this position now to be the first undefeated team, wire to wire, uh, just like Indiana was in the 75-76 season. A lot of teams have been in similar positions and have failed. Talk about one of the greatest teams of all time, the UNLV Running Rebels of 91, being upset by Duke. And that would have been back-to-back because UNLV won the year previously. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see. I mean, there's no reason... Not to look forward to this, this, which should be a classic Monday night. Moving along, let's get into baseball. Baseball started, of course, as you know. And right away, I was immediately annoyed upon learning this. Because I didn't know this and I should have known this, but I didn't. And I was furious to know that the rule that they implemented last year in the abbreviated season of a runner being on second base to start extra innings is back and I went what and then I went no I cannot I hate I loathe this rule pretty much more than my own life okay I I, there is no way listen I play slow pitch co-ed softball pre-pandemic and I hated the rule there and because it's so much easier to score first of all in a softball game but as been proven, it seems like more teams are scoring runs this way. And it's just not a real, it's just not how baseball should be played. It is an utter disgrace to the game. And as a result, I've come up with a proposal, which so yeah, who knows? I, some people have been interested in it. Others will say, no, that's ridiculous. All right, so tell me what you think. My proposal is this. 
look, there's ties in football. There's ties in hockey. You know, hockey's done something different with the overtime now where you can still get a point. So and I, I couldn't explain the rule to you. But my thing is this. I don't want to tie after nine innings. I know we had the whole all-star fiasco with Bud Selig. The thing is this, and remember, this is just to replace the runner on second base. I don't want to see that. This is why I think my idea is better than that. So you play a 10th inning, a regular 10th, you play a regular 11th. Now, whether or not you want to play a 12th, that's up to baseball to decide. I would play two, I don't know, about three innings, two regular innings. And if the game is tied after those two regular innings, it's a tie. That's it. And I, if you think about how many games throughout the season where extra innings before this stupid man on second, 10th inning rule came into play, how many games really go past 11 or 12 innings? I know people hate those 15 inning games or 18 inning games. They happen, but sporadically, they don't happen a lot. So therefore, my point is, and I tried to look this up. It's hard to find this research in terms of how many games really do go past 11 innings. And how many ties would there really be in baseball? I know people are going to, and before I explain that, they're like, oh, I don't want ties. That sucks. Da, 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 da. But which is worse, man on second or a tie after the 11th inning? I don't know. You decide. So, as I mentioned, the season started. And, of course, no surprise, we had a COVID situation with the Nationals. And, you know, I almost felt bad for the, the Mets, almost. <laughs> you know, it's a shame that... I mean, I shouldn't say that. That would be mean. That the entire seven train army got COVID and died. I don't know. And that, that would, that's mean, right? But, uh, yeah. So, Francisco Lindor signed this ridiculous contract. 10 years, $341 million. And it's not so much the years because he's actually just 27. So, when you look at past contracts of guys getting deals past a certain age, like Pujols got, I think, what, a 12-year deal after the age of 30 or something like that, which the Angels are still, <laughs> unfortunately, dealing with at this very moment, and in other contracts that are just long past the age of 30. So he'll be done at 37, so it's not that bad. I mean, the way guys take care of themselves nowadays, he can still be producing solid numbers at that age, we'll see. I mean, it's always a risk, no doubt about it, but at least they didn't have to get this contract when he was 30. And the thing is, listen, you could argue this. He's not even the best shortstop in baseball. If you want to go through the league, fine. But when you look at his numbers, he's 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 in the argument. He's in the you could debate. He's one of the top three or four shortstops. But I, I don't think he's worth this much money. And in conjunction with that, I would say the following: Is he even worth it on his own team? I mean, when you look at Jacob Degrom and the deal he signed. And now, what, Lindor is making $34 million a year. And DeGrom, I think, is making 27 If I were DeGrom, I would say, okay, I'm going to sit out now until you pay me 34 Now, I know oh, people argue, oh, DeGrom only plays every five days. Lindor plays every day. I get that argument. I do. I just, it's, it's ludicrous what, what some guys are making in sports nowadays. That's all. And it's just going to get worse. So my argument is what it is. I mean... So, I don't really want to talk about the NBA. I just want to say fuck the NBA. I really do because I'm really tired of this load management and guys hanging, not playing for a hangnail or a, a stub toe or whatever it may be. A stub toe does really hurt. Though. I'll be fair about that. Yes. <laughs> stub toe is not fun to play on. But you get my point. 
it's every day you just don't know who's gonna play it's hard to to get into the NBA and now I hope that this changes for the postseason I hope guys are playing I hope I mean granted there's gonna be more rest in between games but right now this regular season has been a, a disaster a real disaster I'm not even gonna get into the top teams uh, don't get me wrong you know there's good basketball being played but a lot of it I can't stand so it's just hard to watch for the most part especially when the stars are not playing for reasons that are not really legit if you will so uh, last but not least talking about sports I can't take the Chicago Bears franchise much more and specifically Ryan Pace Ryan Pace made this deal to bring in Andy Dalton, and now he's going above and beyond to make a statement such as that Dalton is better than everyone thinks, and Dalton is going to be quality, and now Nagy's back calling the plays, so they're going to open up the playbook, and Dalton's going to do this, Dalton's going to do that. No one's buying it. Nobody. I've heard multiple people on TV laughing at this, laughing at it. You want to say Andy Dalton is a respectable middle-of-the-pack quarterback? Fine. But the Chicago Bears defense, as in place, now, they, they, they came up a little bit. They dropped a little bit last year. They did. But a lot of it, you could talk about scheme, Pagano not blitzing enough. And now this year, they have a new defensive coordinator who they say will blitz enough and has a crazy scheme. This is a defense that can be Super Bowl quality. And Andy Dalton is not the quarterback. I mean, you can argue there's been quarterbacks in the past of mediocre. It's how everyone talks about uh, Trent Dilfer for the Ravens, of course, winning a Super Bowl. But I just, Andy Dalton, the guy who's going to just make a big mistake in a big situation. I know it. I feel it. So I'm hoping that this is not, this is not it. I mean, look, the rumors still persist of the trade for Russell Wilson, which I don't buy. I don't think if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty miserable as a fan. So, we're going to talk about pro wrestling. On the other side, we have uh, WrestleMania, NXT, AEW, much more. Stay tuned. Martin's Love Podcast coming back after this. Welcome back to this special Easter edition of Morton's Law. Okay, I'm lying. It's not special. It just happens to be Easter, and I have nothing to do with my life, so I thought, hey, do a podcast. Okay, so let's get right into wrestling. So, I talk about matches meaning something, and in wrestling nowadays, I was watching NXT this past week, and there's a there's a tag team match, and it seems like every match nowadays is for a title. Versus how about a non-title match where you have to beat somebody first in order to get a title shot. And this was the case here for the Women's Tag Team Championships. Ember Moon, Shotzi Blackheart taking on a makeshift tag team from the Robert Stone brands of Aaliyah and Mercedes Martinez. How does a makeshift tag team just randomly get a title shot? It made no sense. I was like, what? They should have to beat somebody first, but not in wrestling 2021. So, speaking of the match itself, Aaliyah, who's still there, she's an NXT lifer some way, somehow. Um, I just, I don't, I don't know, but did you see this finish? This, this finish was, was really, like, wow, I can't believe I just saw this. 
So Ember Moon goes to the top rope for her classic top rope stunner, which is an amazing move, don't get me wrong. But if you look at this closely, Aaliyah is setting herself for the move, which of course you're supposed to do. But at the same time, she's looking up at Ember Moon, looking up at her for a while. And I'm thinking, okay, well, now you look really bad because you have all this time to move and get out of the way. <laughs> and it's like, you know, unless you know the ins and outs of the wrestling industry, you're like, that's too long. You should not be looking at her for that long. You should have your head down and quickly get up and look at her. She's staring at her for like three or four seconds. Move out of the way. This is what re- this is what a lot of people hate about modern wrestling and how poor the timing is. And that makes it look fake. So uh, it's brutal. Moving along this NXT North American title situation. So I'm going to go back because I haven't done a show in about a week and a half or so. And it was announced that there's going to be a 12-man battle royal with the last six participants uh, participating in a gauntlet match this coming Wednesday, Thursday takeover situation. It's going to be a two-night takeover this coming week. And I was thinking about it because when you look at the participants in the the 12-man battle royal... And then who would participate in the gauntlet? You see all these names. And I started thinking about Austin Theory. In terms of him, him being aligned with Johnny Gargano. And then they did a promo where they kind of teased it. And they even made, which was really funny. They made fun of the finger poke of doom, if you remember. Oh my god, back 20 years ago in Nitro. With Nash and Hogan. And that, that was pretty funny the way they, they poked fun at that. Ah, no pun intended. So, um... So I thought, okay, well, could Theory win this whole thing? And then setting up uh, him and Gargano to have a breakup with the way. And I'm watching this match, and sure enough, again, and I don't know. I mean, listen, I know it's t- it takes time to build a character. It takes time to get people over. And there are still people there that they perhaps view as more important in this current moment than Austin Theory. But he right now is being booked to look like a fool. And even in this in this battle royal match, the way he got eliminated, oh, it was embarrassing. It was just so bad. And then you know, the, the match continues, and now we have our six. And I, it was so weird, though, by the way, because here's how the match went down. So they eliminated the six guys first, right? And then all of a sudden, now they have placement for the gauntlet. So now the last six to get eliminated in order would determine their entry into the gauntlet. So it's kind of convoluted for the average idiot fan, but I mean, hey, this is what they're doing. And I don't know what what direction they're going to go to. I don't, I mean, it seems like they, and the people in the performance center, oh, I should say the Capital Wrestling Center, excuse me, the CWC, it seems like they really are trying to push Loomis. And could Dexter Loomis be the guy? I don't know. I mean, of course, LA Knight is in the match. And uh, I just know, I mean, I'm not sure what direction they're going to go, but I kind of feel like Dexter Loomis could be the guy. And by the way, Kushida, which we'll talk about later, he got eliminated with Pete Dunne. So that set up a match for, I believe, night one also of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. So... I was thinking, and I'm watching a lot of matches, and I see the way there's a lot of false finishes. And we talk about false finishes and how they can hurt matches over time. And that's the thing. They lose their luster. And 
The problem is, unless the announcer is selling that false finish hard, think about this for a second. 95% of the time, maybe even higher, matches are only won with a finisher. So therefore, if you have X amount of matches that are that are done without a finisher, if you did that more times, well then perhaps people would be on the edge of their seat knowing a match could end at any moment. But if you know that a match is only going to end 95% of the time or more with a finisher, well then an announcer selling one, two, and then he kicks, well you know they're going to kick out. You know they're going to kick out, so that announcer is selling that for no point other than to sound good and to try to get the product over. But I know at home that the match isn't going to end anytime soon because he didn't do his finisher. So my point is this. If you're going to do all these false finishes, then occasionally, and maybe more than occasionally, you have to beat somebody with something other than the finisher. Just to get the crowd to go, wow, oh wow, the match has ended. Holy crap. Now I should anticipate this going forward. Now I don't know when the match is going to end. This is the problem with a lot of wrestling today. Because everybody kicks out of everything. There's no move until we get to the finisher that matters. And then sometimes people kick out of finishers now. So that, that just bothers me. It does. So uh, there was a match. I want to say, I don't think it was this past Wednesday. It was only Lorcan against Karrion Cross. And if you think about what transpired in terms of the injury to Danny Birch. Oni Lorcan enters the ring and Cross is already in there. Shouldn't Oni Lorcan be livid, be upset, and want to attack Cross immediately? But no, the match, they wait for the belt and then they end up having a regular match. Alright, well he, he started punching him right away, which is fair, when the bell rang. But how about a jump start? There should be jump starts in matches in which it's a really big feud. Or, I don't know, you injured my tag team partner. I mean, he should have been upset more than he was. Okay, I I hate to bring this up because it's kind of beating a dead horse. But when we talk about weight disparity, we talk about MMA, we talk about boxing, there being weight classes. Karrion Cross weighs 250 pounds. Oni Larkin on a good day weighs 190. You see the disparity, right? You see the huge disparity between the two men. And listen... Karrion Cross was selling way too much for Only Lorcan. I'm sorry. And I know people are going to hate that. But it's just, it's ridiculous. And listen, wrestling, they love this David versus Goliath thing. But it's overdone. He's a 60-pound weight advantage. He cannot, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. I'm sorry. So Cross eventually wins the match. Probably longer than it should have been because your goal here is to get crossover. And albeit Lorkin is upset that he injured his partner, this match should probably not have lasted as long as it did. Now, I want to give Karrion Cross credit because this was good. This is something we need to see more of in this business. So he wins the match. Now, Lorkin had worked over his arm a little bit in the match, which was really good, too. I mean, look, the, the match wasn't bad. I'm not going to tell you the match was bad. So the ref goes to raise the arm of carrying cross in which Lorcan worked over and cross was, was perfect here this was great he gives the ref a facial like he was like get off of my arm and he couldn't lift his arm so he held it down and that's great selling that is that is top grade selling right there not letting the ref raise his arm and giving him a look love that 
more guys need to do this. So next up, uh, another match I just wanted to discuss in general was uh, Jordan Devlin against Kushida. Now this was of course two weeks ago because we just had the Gauntlet. I should say the Battle Ro- the Royal versus we're gonna get the Gauntlet this week. Now um, again, I'm starting to feel bad for Kushida. Here's why. I, I, and I would love to know how he feels to be honest with you about this because this guy is. I want to say seven-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, and and it got me thinking: has this has this man even challenged Escobar for the cruiserweight title? I didn't go back and look, but I'm guessing he has not, because I remember he was in the feud with Gargano for the North American title, a match in which he lost clean, by the way. And I'm thinking: now, oh, look, I don't want to get on Triple H and the whole booking people behind the stage, Shawn Michaels and all the other people back there. But what are you doing with Kushida? Now, I know at Kenta, everybody knows as Hideo Tommy was injured consistently and couldn't compete. But now, I know Kushida's had a couple of injuries. But he's healthy now, and you're still putting him in this position where he hasn't had a title shot against the Cruiserweight Champion. So now Jordan Devlin is back, and we get this match. And, of course, you know what I'm thinking. How, how are they going to do this? Because if Jordan Devlin is taking on Santos Escobar at Stand and Deliver at this TakeOver event, you know he's winning this match. Unless they do some kind of screwy finish where there's interference and nobody loses. And I'm, I'm watching this going, okay, let's see what they do here. Let's see what they do. And I'm like, I'm thinking, oh no, how are they going to beat Kushida if they do? So the match was really short, right? And then we look over at the stage, and there's El Taco de Fantasma, and they're there on the. St- and then I'm like, okay, here we go. Kushida has an armbar, and then Devlin gets to the ropes, and Escobar's guys pull Devlin out of the ring, and then of course the ref, by the way, turned his back for this to happen. This classic wrestling. And then Devlin turns around, and of course Escobar is on the ramp now. And I, I did like the following. I'm going to be fair. I like the following. Devlin runs towards the ring. Ducks the attempt by Escobar's guys to hit him. And he gets into the ring. Kushida then does a handspring. Escobar's guys are on the apron. He knocks them off. And then Devlin rolls up Kushida for the pin. And I thought, okay, if that's how you're going to beat Kushida, that is probably the best way to do it. And I love that finish. I mean, that, that is as creative a finish as you can come up with. I don't think it killed Kushida, despite I don't like his standing in the company. But I definitely applaud how they did that. Well done. If you haven't seen it, go watch that from two weeks ago. And I started thinking, I'm like, okay, I know who was responsible for that finish. There's no doubt about it, because we know he loves Jordan Devlin. And then on cue, the music hits, and it's HBK comes to the ring. Now, keep in mind... Nobody explains HBK's part in this company. We know he's behind the scenes. We know he's an agent. We know he's big part of the match finishes in what we just saw. And he was huge on all of the Gargano Ciampa finishes, the Adam Cole finishes. You name it, HBK is responsible for the majority of these finishes. And what happens? He goes under the ring, gets a ladder... And you could, by the way, I felt bad. He was struggling with this ladder. It's like, oh, someone give him a hand. So he gets the ladder, puts it on the, on the apron, pushes it into the ring. 
And now we're going to get this ladder match for the Cruiserweight title, Devlin versus Escobar. And uh, listen, this is, this is, by the way, bravo, bravo. Not only with that finish, but this is how you build a pay-per-view. Now, I know this is not a pay-per-view because it's going to be, it's going to be like on eight different, uh, you can watch this eight different ways, I think. You watch it on USA, you can watch it on now the Peacock channel, or network, excuse me, and you can watch it still on WWE Network, which I think only has a few days left. So yes, many different ways. I know a lot of people, I don't, I don't, do you have the Peacock Network? Let me ask, because a lot of people out there, uh, people listening to the price, I, I, according to a lot of people, it is more affordable than what the WWE Network was or is. So we'll see how many people do buy that. I mean, I hope, I hope the show does a good number because that that was an incredible build. I think they've done a great build in general with this show. And look, I am looking so forward to Valter and Champa, an incredible match. You have O'Reilly and Cole, also good. Uh, Cross versus Balor. I mean, this show is loaded. And Io Shirai against. Raquel Gonzalez. And by the way, how about that last week? The two of them fighting basically the entire show, which was really good because as every segment is happening, all of a sudden here's EO and Raquel Gonzalez fighting through everything, including the main event. So that was that was well done. I like that. And uh, yeah, this this two night event is, is loaded. And then, uh, by the way, this is going to be the last time that they're going to be on Wednesday night. Now, this, this event coming up is Wednesday, Thursday, but starting the following week on the 13th, they're going to be on Tuesday night. So, but yes, again, applaud NXT for how they build a big show. Well, well done. Now, let's briefly, because I really, have, I, I'm not going to lie to you and say I've been watching Raw and SmackDown. So, I'm going to just briefly talk about WrestleMania, which is next Sunday night. Uh, actually, it's two nights, right? Saturday, Sunday, just like TakeOver is. And look, when people talk about the two-night event, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I can't be 100% sure, but I'm inclined to believe that Triple H is responsible for this because I believe he and others in NXT probably went to Vince with the idea in terms of two nights because New Japan does it. New Japan does it with their big show, Wrestle Kingdom. They started doing it last year and they did it again this year. And it was profitable. It did really well. So I think with the two nights, that's going to be the case going forward. And let's be fair, it had to be two nights. Because when you watched WrestleMania, well, three years ago now, WrestleMania was approaching five, five and a half hours. I remember one main event. I forget the match. And it was 1230. And I look up and I go, oh, my God, this show is five and a half hours. So, yeah, dividing the two shows, that's fine. I mean, I don't know how people feel about in terms of how much they pay for tickets to now go see what will likely be a two hour, 45 minute show, which is what the old events used to be before they started expanding their their shows to three and four hours. So we got the main event on night one is going to be Lashley and McIntyre. Now, I didn't see Raw, but I hear that the Hurt Business is no longer Although I guess MVP is still with Lashley. Lashley apparently took out Alexander. And uh, I forget who else is involved in that her business. But listen, I talked about this last time. It doesn't look like that's going to be the case now. But I was hoping Lashley would be 
on that face turn possibility where where McIntyre could turn heel and then Lashley can retain. But uh, I, I think I'm leaning towards McIntyre winning this title here in front of an audience to get that big pop he didn't get last year. All right, night one, I'm looking forward to this match. This match should be really good because both ladies can go with the best of them. Bianca Belair against Sasha Banks. We saw how Belair won the women's Royal Rumble, and I hope they put the title on her because she deserves it, and I hate that cliche, you deserve it, the chant. It's so stupid, but she has worked so hard to get in this position, and I think, I'm sure Sasha has no issue losing to her, um, and, and hopefully that will be the case. I think one of the matches on this entire two-night that can steal the show. Now, let's see how much time they give them. Let's see what they allow them to do. Is Rollins against Cesaro. This match can be really good. Uh, this this can be one of those like just classic WrestleMania matches. I don't want to say Steamboat <laughs> uh, Savage because there's no, I don't think there's a title involved in this match. But it should still be good. And then, of course, we get what on night one Shane McMahon against Strowman in a cage match. <sighs> Listen, Shane McMahon is what in his 50s now. I know he's in great shape, don't get me wrong, but he, Braun Strowman has what 150 pound weight advantage on him. How long are they gonna go with this match without making Strowman look weak? That's what I'm asking here. How long can this match go where Strowman has to sell for Shane McMahon in a cage? You would think if you stuck these two in a cage, Strowman would kill him in like three minutes. I'm just curious how long they go with this. Night two, we get Edge, Roman Reigns, and Daniel Bryan. And I have not watched any of the build to this match. And I just think this, and this is the easy thought here, that Daniel Bryan is only in this match to lose. That's it. They don't want to beat Edge. They don't want to beat Roman Reigns. So Daniel Bryan. Now, the only way this would work is if they made it elimination. That that would be the best way. But I believe this is your typical triple threat where the first pin wins the match. And I just hate if that happens. I'm going to be so disappointed because it's lazy booking and it's trying to protect people you don't need to protect. It's like if you want if you want Roman to win and you could beat Edge, that's fine. So we'll see what finish they come up with here. Uh, Rhea Ripley against Asuka. I mean, I know people who didn't really know NXT that well probably like, wait, she's getting a title shot in her first match. I'm sure they've done the video packages of Rhea Ripley in NXT to bring the, what, over 1 million even more people that don't watch NXT that watch Raw and SmackDown. There's even probably like a million four. There's a lot of audience that does not support NXT that watches Raw and SmackDown. Which is a shame, by the way. Now, I'm inclined to believe they're going to have Rhea Ripley win, finally, I hope. Because if you think about like her last couple matches, losing to Raquel Gonzalez and Io Shirai clean in NXT, they probably would really do more damage here to her character if she loses to Asuka clean. We'll see. We'll see. And then, of course, we get this whole debacle with Randy Orton and The Fiend. I, I, you can't ask me to care. Listen, I am not going to talk about every match on this card, but this match, I, good luck. Good luck caring about this. But, oh, well, listen, I'm going to watch it reluctantly. Like I said, it's WrestleMania, so I'll try to get into this, but I'm not pumped up for it at all. 
moving along to AEW. Now, two weeks ago, Kenny Omega was in the ring with the Young Bucks. And people are critical of Kenny Omega in terms of how serious he is sometimes and how it appears like sometimes he's making a mockery of everything he's involved in. And while his matches are normally good, some people say great. That's to each his own. I think this moment on AEW two weeks ago was his best promo I've ever heard, with the exception of occasional New Japan promo he's had when he's also serious. Him talking about the Bucks and their history and how he picked them. He picked them, not other, not New Japan, not, he mentioned New York, of course, WWE. He picked AEW for the Bucks, and all he wanted them to do was put up the signal for the two suite, and they refused. They walked out, and I don't even care about the storyline. It was the convincing aspect of the promo and how Omega was very serious. I like that. That's the first time I got to see that. All right, I have to talk about this because this is really infuriating me now. Whether you're watching NBA on TNT whether you're watching the NCAA tournament on TNT or the other sister networks that it was on. I could not believe whether it was a promo or a video or anything along the lines. For whatever reason, and look, I know this is because she's married to one of the VPs. Brandy Rhodes is on everything. She's on everything. They portray her as a major star. Like you would think people actually tune in to see Brandy Rhodes on AEW. This is a joke. I couldn't believe it. You know how that, that little graphic on the bottom left of the screen? You, I saw Sting. I saw, I think, Darby Allin. I didn't even see Cody. I saw Brandy. Brandy was on this graphic instead of Cody. What was? What is wrong with that? I don't know. Oh, my God. It's painful. And now what? They're going to do a reality show with her and Cody? I mean, I'm sorry. There's no way she's popping a rating at all. The fact that they think people care about her is a joke. I mean, it's brutal. Um, funny line by Don Callis. Don Callis is great on commentary. In fact, I hate—I don't hate the storyline he's involved with, with Omega and Impact and all that other stuff. But in a perfect world, Callis would be on commentary all the time. Because he is hilarious naturally. When I would listen to him on New Japan, he would make me laugh all the time with just some small things. Like the way uh, Suzuki would go after him. Sometimes when he was at the <laughs> at the table, he would run away. <laughs> it was hilarious. And um, so listen to this. He's on commentary Excalibur. For those who don't know the, the, the background of Excalibur, he was a wrestler in Pro Wrestling Guerrilla and other companies, and he wore a mask. For whatever reason, he is so true to his gimmick, which you can say is, is okay, I guess. I don't know. I mean, fast forward all these years, I don't know how much of following he really has. He chooses to continue to wear the mask, which a lot of people have mocked. Why is this guy in a professional setting still wearing his mask when he's not known worldwide? It'd be a different animal if he was Jushin Thunder Liger, Rey Mysterio, or other legendary masked men in the history of this business, but he's not. He's Excalibur. The majority of the people don't know who the fuck he is, but he's wearing his mask. So they're on commentary talking, and I forget the exact exchange, but out of nowhere, Callus goes, you wear a mask in public, even though you're not wrestling, you should see a therapist about that. <laughs> Just so. I love it was just the way he delivered the line. It was so good. 
<laughs> uh, that was good stuff. So, moving along, this is last week's show because Christian Cage is now there, and he gets his in-ring debut against Frankie Kazarian. And I remember their matches from Impact Wrestling. They had some good matches. I think they referenced a ladder match that I don't remember. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so you bring in the guy who's your competition technically, right? Christian Cage, more known for WWE, slightly Impact Wrestling, if you will. Well, back then it was TNA. Um, And you bring him in, 47-year-old guy, and he beats your guy. Think about that for a second. We've always talked about this. Any WWE guy comes into a company and he beats your guy. What is wrong with that? And this match was good, don't get me wrong. And for a minute, I thought it was going to go time limit draw, which I think would have been apropos. It would have been better in terms of not letting Kazarian do a job versus putting Christian Cage over on that level. You could have actually created not so much a feud, but uh, a rivalry between the two where maybe they had another match and something and build the storyline between the two of them. Now, the finish was okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, Christian hit his finisher because Kazarian, I think, got posted in the corner. It was in a, one of those situations where he went towards Christian, who was in the in the corner, and he Christian moved out of the way. And Kaz, I think, got hit, hit his head on the post, and then he hit the uh, the kill switch for the fi- for the finish. But again, you're bringing in a WWE guy, and you're beating one of your guys. I don't know. And again. Not to, I don't want to say anything negative about the career of Christian Cage, but I'm inclined to believe he's never popped a big rating. He's never changed a quarter hour by himself. I don't know how much, I mean, when he was doing, listen, again, I hate to knock him, but when he was doing the whole thing with the peeps and he was looking into the crowd, (laughs) I remember thinking, okay, where are the five people? (laughs) Where are those five people that are cheering for the peeps? And Kate, oh man, I just, you know. Again, Tony Khan, bringing the WWE guy. We love him. Okay, so now we get this QT Marshall Marshall (laughs) versus Cody and the Nightmare Factory. And now, if you haven't been watching, QT has been pretty disgruntled with the whole situation. He's turned his back on multiple members. And so Cody's like, okay, we're going to have this friendly match. And this is just stupid anyway. A friendly match when you could tell the guys were turning your back on the family. And then Arn is the special referee. So we get to the point in the match. And then the QT just randomly knocks Arn out. Punches him in the face. Now there are a bunch of guys at ringside. From the Nightmare Factory. From QT Marshalls. Uh, from his wrestling school. Along with Cody's wrestling school. And it was just like 20 people at, at, at ringside. All of a sudden QT's guys brutally attack everybody they go after cody they go after dustin they go after the gun family who's always involved in something and they put dustin up on the stairs by the way did you see that guy i gotta find out his name and i apologize for not knowing his name but the guy who looks kind of like elias but more jacked and more crazy hair and i i mean i don't even know the, the guy he looks like somebody. And I'm not saying somebody from the past or anybody. I'm just saying he looks like he could be a star. This guy has a good look for a professional wrestler. Especially a heel. So this guy lifts the ramp from the floor. He deadlifts this. And puts it up on the ramp. I should say the stairs. Excuse me. He lifted the stairs and put it up on the ramp. And I'm like, wow. This guy is crazy. And then they, they pile drive 
Dustin on those stairs. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, I mean, this should, they talk about hospitalization angles and where's the ambulance and Dustin, (laughs) I don't know if Dustin, I don't know. I don't know what happened after the commercial break, but you know, I just, I, I was more focused on that guy looking like a star. So I don't know what his future holds in this business, but I'll find out his name. So now we come back from, I forget what part of the show this was. So we get this, this was incredible. So the pinnacle is in their dressing room and they're talking. And then all of a sudden they open the bathroom door and there's the inner circle. (laughs) The inner circle just comes and pummels everybody. Get this huge brawl, which was well done. I actually like this brawl. And then the brawl ends with MJF going through a soda machine. But then I was like, okay, he comes out of the soda machine and he's not bleeding. Why was he not bleeding? It made it look like he went through some glass there, didn't it? So, but overall, that was great. And I think that this pinnacle versus the inner circle will lead to a war game style match. In fact, if you remember pre-pandemic, I forget the name that they called the match. But they were, we were going to get a similar match at the Prudential Center until the pandemic hit and then everything went away. So I imagine at some point, if not this year, then early next year, we're going to have this. I imagine this year we're going to get this match in a war game style. Moving along. All right. I try not to listen to that many other podcasts because I never want to have my opinion swayed one way or another. So I avoid it. So I often see YouTube clips with a title attached to it. I said, okay, do I want to listen to this or not? A very credible individual on a podcast who, let's just say, works with Uncle Dave, had a take. And now I didn't listen to it, so maybe this is not his exact take. But the title was Taya Conti. I believe, I forget the match she had, but it was it was viewed as a really good match. And I think the title was The Performance Center Dropping the Ball. And it made me think, like, how could you make such a statement? Now, I don't know if it was clickbait because I didn't listen to it. But the thing is this. Taya Conti was eventually let go from her situation in NXT, as was Cesar Bononi, another guy being pushed, or not pushed, but being used. And it made me think, like, if that's your take, first of all, think about the trainers. Now, if you want to say the booking is why she was not used correctly, or however, maybe they didn't think she was good enough, whatever angle you want to take. But when you look at Ty Conti now, and you want to say, oh, she looks better in the ring, you can't blame the trainers at the performance center. I mean, think about the trainers that were there. First of all, Serena Deep, who's now injured in AEW, was one of those trainers. Sarah Stock was one of those trainers. You and even, oh, excuse me, Sarah Amato is another trainer. Those are credible women to train. And that's just the women. I'm inclined to believe perhaps the men are involved in the training aspect too. And there's also credible men at the performance center. So my thing is this. If Ty Conti improved... She got better because she learned and understood the mistakes perhaps she made and maybe she took the business more seriously. And listen, just in time in general, I'm, I'm inclined to believe people can get better. And look, I'm not saying WB or NXT doesn't drop the ball with certain guys, storylines, booking, whatever you want to say, but you can't say that she got better because she wasn't being trained properly, if that was the take, because there's no way... They weren't training people the right way. 
That's just, that's wrong. And the same thing with Cesar Bononi. When you look at this guy, he looked like a stiff rock in NXT. I remember him being in there. He just, he looked like he didn't belong. He has a good look, but he doesn't look like he has a concept about pro wrestling. So yeah, that's just my take. And um, let's get into the main event of this past week on AEW. I cannot believe what I just watched. You do this horrible video game main event where everything around the ring is video game related. And of course you have Miro and what was it? Orange Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor and oh just this was awful on so many levels. It's embarrassing. You have every move being used. They just love these no DQ matches where everything takes place. Everything. There's no rhyme or reason. I mean, it's essentially everything, and I, I'm surprised they don't use a kitchen sink in some of these matches, because then you could say everything and the kitchen sink. And then you have this ridiculous finish where you look up at the at the ramp, and all of a sudden, here comes a vehicle. And then you put two and two together, and of course, it's Trent's mom, Sue. And here comes Trent. And now all three are, are beating up Miro, and then Kip Sabian, and then they eventually pin him. And it's just like, oh, this is so bad. And this is one of the many reasons why I think the ratings continue to take a dip. And we talk about the episode that Shock was on and how it was approaching the million dollar, the million dollar, the million viewer number. In fact, I think the segment did do a million. And then the number dropped as the show went on. And guess what? Since that show, every show has dropped. And I believe they had one of their lowest numbers in a while. In the, in the low 700s. Now again, with NXT moving to Tuesday, does NXT viewers, because a lot of these NXT viewers love independent wrestling, and a lot of the AEW wrestlers come from the independent scene. So I'm curious to know if the AEW or the NXT fans will now support to a degree and help boost the AEW rating and vice versa. Will the AEW audience now watch more of NXT on Tuesday nights? So the rating could drop, or if you get support, like I just mentioned, the number can increase. That is a very interesting concept, and we'll see if it does happen. So that wraps up another edition of Morton's Law. Just a quick shout-out, plugs. Don't forget Valerie Lynn Show, Box Seat Suck Podcast, and the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast. Listen to those and support those shows. And I thank you guys. Morton's Law. I'll be back with another episode after WrestleMania. Thank you again. And God bless gay sex.